Today's reading comes from Colossians 2, verse 16 to 23. Colossians 2, 16 to 23. Freedom from human rules. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Good morning, good morning, good morning, brothers and sisters. Another wonderful day where we can gather here as a family, whether online or within our homes, to celebrate the sheer goodness and greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. A very big thank you to our brother Andrew Finn, who over in Thailand has been able to lead us in worship online. It's such a blessing that even though he's overseas, he can still impact and influence us. And even a way as this is just leading us in song, which is a wonderful, wonderful blessing. We pray that everything's going well for you over there as well, Andrew, and that as restrictions ease, everything will be going well as you settle in and continue your ministry over there, as well as your job as you represent Jesus Christ over in Thailand. It's really quite interesting because as Andrew's gone over there, gone over to Thailand to live independently, it did actually remind me of a little bit of a story regarding myself. Like I moved out of home when I was 19. I had recently become a Christian. I had a job. I had savings. And then I had the opportunity to move out of home with a couple of guys from the church because one of their housemates had moved here to Australia to study at Bible college. Thus, to my mind, there was a great chance for me to, to spread my wings a little bit and experience a little bit of freedom in living away from home. Free of the responsibilities and of the chores and of the rules of my home, I went out to live, to live as a bachelor, I guess you could say. What I discovered, though, was that my newfound independence was that the freedom that I had gained was not the freedom to do and to live however I wanted, but rather, I call it, I discovered the freedom of personal accountability. What I mean by that is that I, now I was personally accountable for paying my own way. I was now personally accountable for cooking my own, well, not cooking my own food, but probably buying my own food. 
I was now personally accountable for my own cleaning. I was personally accountable for my own yard work. I was personally accountable for my own transport. I was personally accountable for my own, well, no, not my own laundry because I still went back to my parents' house uh, to get my laundry done. So I was, I was free, yes. I was free from the rules and conditions of my parents' home, but I came under a different type of free that I chose to be under by living independently. Now, the reason I begin with such an illustration as this is because, as referred to last week, we are in Christ, by grace, through faith, brought to fullness. We are, by grace, through faith, complete in him, as Colossians 2.10 says. We have died in Christ, having our sinful nature stripped away and being dead to our former way of life. We have been buried with Christ, and in that burial, um, being dead, as Romans 6-7 says, he that is dead is free from sin, through which our sin debt has been dealt with and taken to the grave, and we are also raised in Christ, sealing our victory, that death is overcome, that sin is defeated, and that, in Jesus' name, the enemy has been rendered powerless. To quote R. Kent Hughes from last week, Christ has conquered, we have conquered, we will conquer in him. And it is from here, as we look at the second part of Colossians chapter 2, that being full in Christ, we are also free in Christ. And like my adventure into independence by leaving home, one's freedom in Christ is not so we can live and do whatever we want, but to realize that we have willingly submitted and yielded ourselves to the will and ways of our loving Lord in whom we willingly chose, or for want of a better word, chose and are chosen in him. So let's pray and we'll look at Colossians chapter 2, starting from verse 16, and we examine what it means to have freedom in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are the, the image of the invisible God, that in Jesus Christ, the fullness of deity dwells in him. Thank you that you stand above all, you are before all, you are over all, and that through you all things exist. And now we come before you and that you might reveal to us the fullness of your being, that we might see the fullness of your promises and the fullness of your love expressed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Please help me to speak slowly and clearly. And as we listen to your word Going forth in the power of your spirit, grant us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to respond for the glory of the God, the Father, and for the building of your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, it is important to emphasize here that today's passage is not to be taken on its own, but in direct connection with what we talked about last week. It is what the very word therefore means in the beginning of verse 16. 
therefore, what is it therefore? It basically means because of this, because of the fullness you now have in Christ, because now of the completeness that you have been brought to, because of the relationship you share by grace through faith with God through Jesus Christ, because you no longer lack in Christ. That's what he's saying here. Because of this, the rest of verse 16 says, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. Paul is highlighting for these Christians and for us that the success of their new life in Christ is not to be held against a set of religious practices or observances of times and days. He's stating that in Christ, there is freedom from the chains of religious legalism, which is very easy to fall into. If you recall Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, he makes this point and says how as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue living your lives in him. If you remember last week, the statement was made that you, by grace through faith, are saved from your sin, then you must live by grace through faith, the sanctification from sin in your life, day by day, moment by moment. So as you received Christ, so continue living your lives in him. It's a transfer of perspective. The transfer from religious activity, the adherence and observance of rules, to relational intimacy. That's what he's trying to stress here and communicate. And this is what makes this message this morning so difficult. See, due to our need for control, even in our zealous observance of the scriptures, we can, I'm not saying that we will, but we can become like Pharisees. We can legalistically adhere to rules instead of to the Lord. And in so doing, we then condemn everybody else who does not follow the Lord the exact same way that I do, who doesn't follow Jesus the exact same way that I do. And so Paul is stressing here to the Colossian church and to you and I, don't allow people to use religious in the negative sense, religious practices. Religion is all about what I can do to earn God's approval, what I can do to attain God's acceptance. That's what religion does. And so Paul's saying don't use people or don't allow people to use religious practices to gain God's approval or to earn his continual approval as you live following him. And he lists some things, whether they be a dietary requirement, whether you, what you eat, what you drink, whether it be the festivals that you have, or the celebration of a new moon, or whether it be the times and days you observe, a Sabbath day, which was what some of these current teachers were trying to do. And the reason they were somewhat successful is because it, because it appeals to our need for significance, for the human need for significance and for control or for input. 
We like to have some sort of say in what happens in our lives, even when we don't have say, really. We want to have some sort of control in how we live. And because we lean in this direction of self-reliance, we fall into what I call the performance trap. The performance trap of how I perform, how I look. And it is a very easy trap to fall into. We have been measured by how we perform since we were little. We get report cards when we're young to gauge our performance academically. We ask for reviews within our jobs and our careers to gauge how we perform in those careers. We often ask for a critique in order to improve how we perform. And that's the trap. This is what, that's, that's life. That's what we go through in life. The thing is, we move that same mentality of performance into our Christian lives and into our relationship with Jesus as well. We assess our success, our spiritual success, our spiritual growth, our spiritual maturity as a Christian by what we do or by what we don't do. In other words, by how we perform. Straight away forgetting that my salvation is by grace through faith and my ability to adhere and obey the scriptures is also by grace through faith. We forget that our whole Christian life is relational, not ritual. That is what we fall into. And then you have the other extreme, though, which we fall into as well. We go from one extreme and we contrast that with the next extreme, that in opposition to such religious legalism that says, well, then I will then do what I want. Because I am a Christian, because I am not to be judged by these religious practices, then I will I'll eat to excess. I'll start smoking drugs. I'll have my cigarette. Okay, If it feels good, do it. Even though I'm told in 1 Corinthians 6.19 that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that my body is consecrated because that is where he lives. That is where he dwells. We get, I'll drink what I want. I'll drink to get drunk. Even though the scriptures teach that we are told not to get drunk with wine wherein there is excess, but be controlled by the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. We justify and say, well, look, I don't need to go to church. Completely ignoring the reality of Hebrews 10.25 20, that says, we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but all the more, as you see the end approaching, we are together. We justify things saying, I don't need to have communion, even though the Lord tells us where to celebrate it until he returns. We say we shouldn't get baptized, even though we are told quite clearly that we are to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. We, are, we say, look, I'm going to be involved with the world, as opposed to saying, I'm in the world and not of the world. A lot of us say, well, I'm in the world and I'll act like I'm in the world, even though we are said that we are separate ourselves. We are to be holy as he is holy. In other words, people take that whole idea of, well, 
I live under grace, not under law, completely forgetting that the call of grace holds one person, a Christian, to a higher standard of relationship than the law. It's a higher standard because it is a greater standard of freedom that has been granted to us in Christ. These are the two extremes that we are susceptible to. I was more of a victim of the first one as a younger Christian, that of religious legalism. When I was a young Christian and still learning about my relationship with Jesus, I used to think that when I sinned, when I made a mistake, when I failed, not, not even when I made a mistake, when I chose to willfully sin against God, I felt I had to do something in order to be brought back into the good graces of God. I literally would physically hurt myself in order to show God that I was remorseful and I was serious about my penance and about my repentance from sin, only for a couple of weeks later to fall into the same trap and do the same sin again. But that revealed to me my lack of understanding of God's love, of God's mercy, of God's grace, and of God's judgment, of God's gospel. I didn't fully understand what that meant because God is not won over by my feeble attempts of atoning sacrifice. He's not pleased with these things I do to try and earn his favor back by what I do. This is evident in the life of Israel. As you read in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 and 13 and 14, we read this. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? This is God speaking to Israel, says the Lord. I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams, of the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Verse 13, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Verse 14, your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. This is God speaking about the religious activity of Israel, who were going through the motions of all the right things, and yet God hated those meaningless offerings. They became a burden to him. Psalm 50, verse 9 and 10a, he says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal is mine. And, verse, and Psalm 51, verse 16, God does not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. God was not after the sacrifices of my personal pain and my own personal flogging, just as he was not after the multitude of sacrifices of animals from Israel. No, the sacrifice God accepts is that of a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Verse 17 of Psalm 51. You see the difference there? It's relational, not ritual. 
It's evident in verse 18 of Isaiah chapter 1. It stresses, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Once again, it's not about the ritual that he completely rejected from. He was after the relational with the people of Israel. You see the difference there. It is not the outward activity that captures his attention, but rather the heart attitude that results in the appropriate activity. I'm going to say that again. God is after the heart attitude that results in the appropriate activity. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Why? For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. It's why we read further on in the passage, Paul stresses for us the following things that we are not to be governed or influenced by. Carrying on in verse 18, anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. In other words, don't be deceived by a person's demeanor or who presents themselves in a way in, in a way that gets you on their side while they in turn are trying to draw you away from Jesus by pointing to something else or to someone else. In this case at Colossae, it was the case of angels, which is what some ideologies promote today. But you'll notice how they're identified. They're identified by the detail of what they have seen, puffed up by the notions of their unspiritual mind. It refers to them and what they are doing. There's the lack of spiritual substance cannot be compensated with spiritual jargon or fancy pictures. And that's why it's important that you measure whatever it is you hear from me, whatever it is you hear from any preacher that you watch on YouTube, you watch and you measure what is there against the truth of Scripture. And measuring it against Scripture, the result remains the same. You will find it is empty. You will find that it lacks substance. The value of God's truth is that it cannot be replaced by complex sentences and continued chattering. Ecclesiastes 5.3 says, Much dreaming and many words are meaningless, therefore fear God. I'm sorry, that's Ecclesiastes 5.7. Therefore fear God. Ecclesiastes 5.3 says, Many words mark the speech of a fool. Proverbs 26.24 says, Enemies disguise themselves with their lips, but in their hearts they harbor deceit. In comparing their many eloquent words to God's truth, it is then you see clearly where such things lack. There is a disconnect between them and the head of the church. Why? Because it is trying to replace relying on Jesus, the relational, with relying on religious practices, the ritual. And it's where you actually lose in that act, 
That is where you actually lose your connection with the head, your connection with Christ. It is what Paul warns in Galatians 2.16 for the Galatian believers who were drawn away from the gospel. It says, the works of the law, by the works of the law, in other words, by the religious practice, no flesh can be justified. Jesus Christ alone deserves center stage. For the body being separated from the head results in, physically, death. For the body being separated from the head by looking to other things other than Christ results in spiritual death, of which it seems that these infiltrators were. And this is why Paul spends so much time in the first two chapters pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. Right before he starts in Colossians chapter 3 and how we are to live in Christ, he refocuses the church's vision through the exaltation of Jesus Christ and the position we have in him. That is how it's combated. That is how he fights against such heresy. And it is evident by the fact in verse 20, he begins saying, you must then, therefore, in him, live free from the world's forces. He says in verse 20, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Remember last week? He that is dead is freed from sin. In Christ, because we died with him and are raised with him, we are set free from not only our sinful nature, but also the power of these spiritual elemental forces that are around us today. That we have died to the spiritual forces of this world. That our former way of life is stripped away, buried and resurrected with Christ. We can now with confidence, walk in the victory freely that we have been granted in Jesus. For we are told, Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can now, according to James 1.2, count it all joy when I fall into diverse temptations. I can, according to James 1.12, um, blessed is the man for when he is tried, for he shall receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's, we are receivers of the crowns of life now, even in our trials. We can overcome the world, as it says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. We have overcome the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. And it is because of this that we are free from the world's forces, that we can also live free from the world's regulations. Verse 20b to verse 23 is this rhetorical question and this rhetorical argument that Paul puts forth. He says, Why, as though you still belonged to the world, do you submit to its rules? I want to read that again because that's just an amazing passage, amazing verse. Why, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, 
do not touch these rules which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. The word to describe this sort of living is called asceticism, the life of an ascetic. It's a way of thought that sees that the physical is something to be rid of, that the physical is something to be done away with, because the spiritual is the only true reality and one's ultimate aim. And because of such a view, the physical is viewed as evil and the spiritual was therefore good. Now, there is a grain of truth to that, that the spiritual being the ultimate reality and the spiritual that we are going. But, but there's a grain of truth regarding this ideology, but in viewing the physical as evil and the spiritual as good can actually give us a false perception to our existence as Christians regarding our view of God's creation, regarding our view of, our, of God's purpose in our lives, and regarding our existence even now as Christians. Because I am told in the scriptures that God made everything and that when he made everything, it was very good. Genesis 1 verse 31. That includes not only the spiritual, but the physical. God made the heavens and the earth. God placed everything within this earth in the first chapter of Genesis, and he said it was very good. I am told in Psalm 19.1 that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies manifest his handiwork. I am told that the earth itself groans and travails, not for its destruction, but for its deliverance from sin's grasp. In Romans 8, verses 22 and 23. So, the goal of the physical, according to what the Bible teaches, is not the ultimate destruction, but rather through Christ, its ultimate redemption. Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 and 2 talks about a new heavens and a new earth. It is not the destruction of the physical. It's not about being rid of the physical. It's about having the physical, all this redeemed. Now, I'm looking forward to being free of the flesh. I'm looking forward to being free of sinful desires of lust. I'm looking forward to that. But that means my body physically is redeemed. Creation is redeemed, of which we partake of. That when this world ultimately comes to its conclusion, it'll be redeemed in Christ. So if that's the ultimate goal of the physical, that it's not evil, but in store of and can be redeemed in Christ, why then would you choose to live a life of an ascetic, one that is seeking to physically deny yourself? Now, I'm speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for you. You may fall into this, but it's because it plays into my sinful nature. It, it plays to our sense of false humility. It plays to, to my sense of control and that I can have some sort of input in how I look. 
to others that through the practice of human efforts and through the practice of human means that denying myself of the outward activities is an attempt for me to gain spirituality, to look spiritual and to be spiritual. But what's the focus there in achieving such things? It all comes from me. It all comes from me. Because the problem is, all that is done is that there is an outward conforming of my action through rigorous denial, only to discover that I will probably fall very, very soon after that, once I find myself surrounded with those temptations again. It's much like, let's say I'm a kleptomaniac, so I'm a compulsive thief. And I can't help but steal from others. And I tell you, I tell you that as a kleptomaniac that I've been clean for the past two years. That I haven't stolen anything. That I've overcome, I've overcome my, my, my kleptomania for the past two years. Then I explain to you that for the past two years, I've been stuck on a desert island where there was one palm tree, one hut, and one person, me. So the fact of the matter is it's not because my kleptomania has been solved by me overcoming such a thing within me, my own sinful nature. No, it's based entirely upon my circumstance. And because once you take me and place me back in society, more often than not, I think I'll just go back to what I was doing. So it's not a genuine transformation, is it? It's just an outward conforming based upon the circumstance, based upon the situation. And this is what asceticism does, asceticism does for us too. If we live as Christians, merely governed by our circumstance and governed by our adherence to rules, our reliance falls on us. Our success falls on the strategies we have on place and our victory is dependent solely upon my location at any given time. And all that produces is the same mentality and the same heart attitude of the Pharisees who, according to Mark 7, verse 6 says... These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Because it is entirely possible to do everything right and still get everything wrong at the same time. Look at the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2. You see what they did, the works they did, great, but their hearts were far from the Lord. The point Paul's of Paul's explanation here is for you and I, is for this church to take one's eyes and focus off yourself. There is a place for discipline. Please don't misunderstand me. There is a place for boundaries. There is a place for restrictions. But the setting up and the implementation of these aspects of our lives are to come from and be grounded in my relationship with Jesus Christ and how much I cherish and value that relationship with him. You see, this is the freedom that I have received in him. To reiterate, now. Freedom from human rules, yes. Freedom from human regulations, yes. Freedom from human tradition and human ideology, yes. But it's the freedom that has been left to come under the accountability of our Lord Jesus, of which we willingly desire. If the two greatest commandments to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as yourself in Mark 12, then the only way that love is reached is by God living in and through you and I. 
For I am dead in Christ, yes, to my sinful nature, but I am also raised in Christ, free to live under his law of love, his way of holiness, and his kingdom of grace, which consists of godly discipline, of active holiness, and of loving obedience. Much like the freedom from my parents' home when I moved out led me to the freedom of personal accountability, of which I willingly went, so too is the freedom from the kingdom of this world left in order to move to the freedom of Christ's accountability, of which I freely went. The difference being that in him I receive fullness of life. In him I receive fullness of abundance. In him I receive fullness of being, which in turn from that fullness grants me the freedom to love, the freedom to trust, and the freedom to obey. Thus, brothers and sisters, my encouragement to you is live full, brothers and sisters. Live free, brothers and sisters. Live, brothers and sisters, in Christ. If you just like to bow your heads and join me in prayer, and well, let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you so much for the freedom that has been granted to us in Jesus Christ. The freedom to live, the freedom to love, and the freedom to obey. I thank you that you've given us freedom from this world's ideologies, these empty philosophies, these ideas that are seeking to draw us away from you. And Lord, I thank you that in you and in you alone, we find fullness, fullness of being and fullness of purpose. I ask for you to dismiss us now and to encourage our hearts to not get caught up in rules and regulations, but rather have the rules and regulations, the ritual, much rather come from the relationship that we share with you as our God and as our Saviour. We ask for you to continue to work within each of our hearts and to draw us closer to yourself, and that you will stir our hearts to cherish and to protect the relationship that we've been granted to you in Christ. So we ask for you to dismiss us now, and we just give you all praise and all glory and all honour to you who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the image of the invisible God who is above all, who is before all, who is over all, and through whom all things are created. Father, we thank you so much. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much for that, brothers and sisters. I appreciate the time spent this morning with you around the Word. And I encourage you, if you're able to come along to the Zoom meeting afterwards, that would be a wonderful blessing just to sit down and talk. It may not be about the sermon. It might just to catch up to see how you are. And, and I would encourage you just to play a part in that and to drop a little line and say hi. God bless, brothers and sisters. Have a great week. And we'll talk to you again soon. God bless.